ब्राह्मणे गिरधारी परना सावरियो परना पियामने गिरधारी परना पर परनी जो शाम नाथ और अमृत दो होता पर परनी जो शाम नाथ और अमृत दो होता हाट करे मेरी माँ विरना सावरियो परना हरट करे मरी मावरना सावरियो परना सावरियो परना गिरधारी परना सावरियो परना गिरधारी परना घट भीतर अनहद बाजरे या घट भीतर बाग बगीचे या घट भीतर बाग बगीचे याही में सिर जनहारा याही में सिर जनहारा ढूंढे रे ढूंढे अंधियारा ढूंढे रे ढूंढे अंधियारा या घट भीतर बाग बगीचे या घट भीतर बाग बगीचे याही में सिर जनहारा याही में सिर जनहारा ढूंढे रे ढूंढे अंधियारा ढूंढे रे ढूंढे अंधियारा ढूंढे रे ढूंढे अंधियारा ढूंढे रे ढूंढे अंधियारा 
requested to please switch off your mobile phones i repeat please switch off your mobile phones also in case during the end of the event sadguru decides to get in the crowd please do not create a mob around him so on behalf of vivekanand study circle and aina i would like to extend a warm welcome to all of you it is indeed a rare opportunity to host someone like sadguru at iit delhi and we are deeply honored by his presence Sadhguru, a yogic and a profound mystic of our times, is a visionary humanitarian and a prominent spiritual leader, a contemporary guru rooted as strongly in mundane and pragmatic matters as he is in inner experience and wisdom. Sadhguru works tirelessly towards the physical, mental, and spiritual well-being of all. He has also been conferred with the Padma Vibhushan award by the government of India for his contribution towards spirituality. His organization, Isha Foundation, based in Tamil Nadu, based in Coimbatore, Tamil Nadu, offers many tools for inner transformation. He is also the author of several books, including Inner Engineering, A Yogi's Guide to Joy, which entered the Washington Post and the New York Times bestseller list in multiple categories. So, before we begin the event, we'd like to show a video on Sadhguru and Isha Foundation. Also, in the video, we'll be showing you glimpses of the Isha Yoga Center. Now, it might interest you to know that even though Sadhguru isn't trained as an engineer, he has a great interest in architecture and design.
has a devoted following across India and indeed around the world. While yoga and meditation are at the core of his teachings to promote individual growth, the work of the foundation covers conservation, education and health. And you'll find him astonishingly pragmatic on a range of very modern day problems. Let's meet Sadhguru. For the very first time in the history of humanity, we have the necessary resource, we have the necessary capability, we have the necessary technology to address every human problem on the planet. Even twenty-five years ago, we couldn't have dreamt of it. But the only thing that is missing is consciousness. Today, the spotlight is on a project called Green Hands in India. We started a mass campaign and uh, six years I spent planting trees in people's heads. That's the most difficult terrain, believe me. And now in the last six years, we've been transplanting it and that's happening much more easily. Action for Rural Rejuvenation is mainly aimed at rejuvenating the human spirit. English and computer skills are very essential to make these children come out of the hopeless economic and social pit they are in. If you could first tell our viewers what is the idea behind it, initiative, insight, which is more specific towards entrepreneurs. Whatever the nature of your business, ultimately it is all about human well-being. Isha Foundation, a non-religious, non-profit public service organization headquartered in southern India. We've engineered the outside world in so many ways, but we've done nothing about this one. If you want to know well-being, in is the only way out. This is what I want to teach you too. That is, you can be completely intoxicated without any drug, just on life. This is a shift from wine to divine. How can you love one and hate the other when the same divine exists in all? Spiritual process is not about looking up or looking down, it is about turning inward. See, the only thing that I'm really good at is just this. I can just make the air around me just crackle with energy. If you have to describe yourself in one word, would you consider uh, wildlife as two words or one word? Yes. Exactly, does one build a sacred space? 
Isha Yoga Center, ancient techniques have been revived to create a timeless space, one designed to stand for many millennia. The Dhyanalinga is the focal point of the Yoga Center, the first of its kind to be completed in thousands of years. This is the only structure of its kind in the world, 72 feet in diameter, an elliptical dome, all of brick and mud, no steel or cement. It's held up by gravity. It is simple but very audacious. All the bricks are trying to fall down at the same time and they never can. A doorway to enlightenment, Dhyanalinga creates the possibility to experience life in its totality. At the entrance of the Dhyanalinga, one encounters the Sarvadharma pillar, embodying the essence of spirituality beyond sectarianism. A few steps away sits Nandi, relaxed yet intense, the embodiment of meditativeness. A sacred journey begins with a purifying dip. The Suryakund and Chandrakund are energized water bodies. Unique in form, they are built with massive 50-ton granite blocks. To the southeast is Lingabhairavi, an exuberant expression of the Divine Feminine. Within her abode, Devi is manifested as a Linga, a unique form for the Mother Goddess. Architecture is just a play of geometry. Most of the buildings here are standing because of perfection of geometry, not upon the strength of the material. The very forces which should bring down a building or holding them up. The entire ashram is itself a symphony of geometry and alignment. Designed and conceptualized by Sadhguru, the structures have been executed by the residents and brahmacharis of the ashram. Spanda Hall is a 64,000 square foot program venue the design reflects the essence of yoga as a technology for inner engineering. The Adi Yogi Alaya is an 82,000 square foot hall without columns, designed to offer classical yoga in its purest form. The space is tuned to align the geometry of the human system to the cosmic geometry. The Aliyam also hosts special cultural events. The center also houses the Isha Homeschool, a scene of conscious chaos in design and activity. It creates a vibrant ambience for learning. aesthetic manifests on the other side of the globe too. Mahima, a 39,000 square foot meditation hall, is the first of its kind in the West. Adi Yogi Temple is a tribute to Adi Yogi, the first yogi and guru, a being whose contribution to raising human consciousness is unparalleled. Dominating the 30,000 square foot space is a 21 foot likeness of Adi Yogi. 
designed, constructed, and transported from India, it is only the first of many. This glorious face, we want this glorious face to become an inspiration to the world, to seek the highest. In India, work is already on to create 412-foot versions. Weighing 800 tons, they will stand at each corner of the subcontinent. There is no need for you to innovate anything. If you just have enough observation and perception for all the fantastic design that is everywhere, in every leaf, every flower, if you just simply imitate what's in nature, it'll be too phenomenal. People will think you're a genius but you're a copycat. <laughs> That's all it takes. I would now like to request Dr. Kaushal to kindly escort Sadhguru onto the stage. <laughs> now I would like to invite our director, Professor Rao, to kindly come up on the stage and present a token of our gratitude to Sadhguru. In today's event, three of our students will be in conversation with Sadhguru on the theme of youth and truth. This is the first event in this series in which Sadhguru will be in conversation with students on the theme of youth and truth. I now request Ishan, Saksham and Om Prakash to come on the stage. Ishan is a final year dual degree computer science student. Saksham is a third year engineering physics student and Om Prakash is a final year M.Tech mechanical engineering student. Now I, hand it over. now I hand it over to Sadhguru and the students to begin the conversation. <laughs> Namaskaram to everyone. Good evening, everyone. First of all, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to Sadhguru to IIT. It's a very rare occasion for us as an institute to have you here. So before we begin the conversation, I'd just like to uh, put it in context. So when we got to know uh, about uh, Sadhguru coming to IIT, uh, we were thinking of how would it be appropriate to be able to represent the thoughts of the community uh, in the limited time by limited number of people. So we thought of the idea of crowdsourcing the questions. So we crowdsourced the questions to everyone and people responded with a lot of questions and we had a hard time compiling them. And so we, prepa we prepared a cocktail of questions after crowdsourcing and uh, we we've tried to represent all the different themes that were asked. So 
just beginning uh, with the conversation, I'd like to start with a very silly and yet existential and fundamental question. So given that uh, we are here on this planet for a limited life, given that we are human, we'd not live forever, so what do you think is a wise way to spend the years on this planet? <laughs> I know what, uh, <clears throat> can you hear me? I know what uh, all the professors would like me to say. <laughs> the wise way is uh, you must be focused on your academics, that's all the concern is. But we must look at this. All life on this planet, Anything that you take, a worm, an insect, a bird, an animal, a tree or a human being, the only thing that every life is aspiring for is it is trying to become a full-fledged life. An earthworm is trying to be a full-fledged earthworm. A grasshopper is trying to be a full-fledged grasshopper. A mango tree is trying to be a full-fledged mango tree. So is a human being. Only thing is, we know what is a full-fledged earthworm, we know what is a full-fledged grasshopper, we know what is a full-fledged everything, but we do not know what is a full-fledged human being. Doesn't matter what you do, somehow seems inadequate. No matter where you get in your life, you will see there is one more thing to do. Never does a human being come to a place where he thinks this is it. That only other people say when you're dead, this is it. So, the essential nature of life, not just human life, every life is, it is longing to become a full-fledged life, so is a human being. So wherever you may be in your life right now, you want to be something more. If that something more happens, you want to be something more. If that happens, something more. You will see whatever your aspirations right now as students, suppose all of them get fulfilled within the next one year, you will immediately see you will have another aspiration. If everything that you want gets all fulfilled by tomorrow morning, you will see you will have much more things to do because the very nature of being human is such, you always want to be something more. But if you really look at it, what you want is not something more, what you want is a limitless expansion. Even if I make you the king of this planet, don't look at me hopefully, huh? <laughs> I will not make such a blunder <laughs> But suppose we make you the king of this planet, do you believe you will be fulfilled? You will look at the stars. If you have this planet in your hands, you will look at the stars. If I give you one galaxy, you will look at the next galaxy. This is the nature of the human being. There is something within us which is always longing to become boundless. But in most human beings, because of their fear of suffering, 
they think that if they desire for something and it doesn't happen, they will suffer. Because of the fear of suffering, this longing to become boundless is finding a very constipated expression. This constipated expression of longing for the boundless gets labeled as ambition. What you think is ambition is just a constipated expression for a boundless expansion that every life is longing for. But you will see in your life, no matter what happens, you will see you will want something more. This, somebody may label it as greed, it is not about greed because the very nature of the human being is such, no matter how many pacifist philosophies you teach him, you cannot contain him. People have told you, you must be happy with what you have, whatever God has given you, that should be the right thing for you. But it's not worked for one human being on the planet. It only works either when you're very sick or very old. Otherwise, if you have little energy coursing through your body, you want to do something more. So it's not more. A human being, there is something within you which doesn't like boundaries. If I imprison you in a five by five cubicle, you will feel terribly imprisoned. Then we will liberate you tomorrow into a ten by ten cubicle. You will feel wonderful for a day, but again you will feel imprisoned. The next day we will release you into a hundred by hundred cubicle. You will feel really great, but in three days again you will want to wake, break that boundary. It doesn't matter where I set the boundary. The moment you become conscious of the boundary, you want to break that boundary. This is the nature of the human being. So there is something within you which does not like boundaries. So if you do not like boundaries, what should you seek? That's a question. As long as you live in the physical nature of the existence, the very nature of physicality is a defined boundary. Only because there is a defined boundary, physical is possible. We can call this a physical body because it has boundaries. If I pull out all the boundaries, this will not be physical anymore. So somewhere, unconsciously, every human being is wanting to touch a dimension beyond physical nature. If you touch a dimension beyond the physical nature, then we use the must much maligned and corrupted word called spirituality. Spiritual means not looking up or looking down. Spiritual means your experience of life has transcended the limitations of being physical. Something more than physical is happening to you. This means you are on the spiritual process. So this longing is there in every human being. So essentially doesn't… what you do in your life, our activity, is not about us. Activity is about the world that we live in. Today, you are here in twenty-first century, so you guys are in IIT. Suppose you were here five thousand years ago, where would you be? In the jungle. Huh? No, no. <laughs> you know, five thousand years ago they were talking Mahabharat, Ramayan, so you would be in one of those armies trying to shoot an arrow and <laughs> you can't shoot anything. <laughs> you would try to learn to fight with somebody in a sword or something else of the day. I'm saying your mind, your application, your fulfillment in activity would be all that type of activity relevant to the times. Our activity is always about the times in which we exist. It's not about us really. 
what times do we exist, what is most needed right now, that's what we do. But how to be is the question. If it comes to how to be, there's only one way to be, that somewhere in every human being there is a longing to expand beyond physical limitations. This is happening in four different ways. If it finds a very basic physical expression, we call this sexuality. You're trying to expand the boundaries of who you are. What you are not, you're trying to include as yourself. This is what sexuality is. If it finds an emotional expression, we call this love. Once again, something that is not you, you're trying to make it a part of you. If it finds a mental expression, it gets labeled as ambition, greed, conquest or simply shopping. <laughs> if it finds a conscious expression, then we call it yoga. Yoga means not twisting your body or turning your body, yoga means union. In some way, consciously you learnt how to obliterate the boundaries of your individual nature. Now your ability to experience yourself beyond your physical existence has become a living reality for you. This is everybody's longing, but it finds constipated expression. Instead of that, if you find a conscious expression, life will be very, very different. So, uh, you said that uh, it's a very continuous journey of expansion and uh, like having this conscious expression would make it very different. Uh, but this is very easier said than done. So, like doing it is a journey altogether. So, if I'm on this journey, so I ha I'd have personal aspirations, I'd have uh, spiritual aspirations. So, but there's also a conflict with the, with the societal life that I live in. There's, there are responsibilities on me from, the, from my family. There are some social foundations that I have while trying to be limitless. So how do I cope with this conflict? Or uh, in fact, I'd like to ask that, is it even possible that we draw… we are able to draw a synthesis between the two? You're talking like a much married man <laughs> This is usually a diplomatic way of saying I'm married. <laughs> See, <laughs> we need to understand this, though everybody is thinking they are shaping their own lives and whatever, the human longing to expand is not your doing. This is the nature of life itself. It's not something that I aspire for a spiritual process, there's no such thing. Every human being is longing for expansion. Will they long for it consciously? or unconsciously, that's all the choices. Anyway, every human being is longing for expansion. Even the beggar on the street is looking for little expansion of his territory, isn't it? Yes or no? So, wanting to expand is not your doing or my doing. This is the nature of life, it's invested in us. Now, what we are doing in the world today is just a question of the times in which we exist. Okay, we have little choices, whether you want to do art, music or engineering or medicine or something like this, but essentially all these activities are supposed to be for human well-being, isn't it? So fundamentally there's only one business of human well-being. Question is, what is your competence? What is the nature of your uh, 
you know, intelligence so that how you could be most useful, so you will choose that. This does not determine you doing an engineering program or a medical program or an art program should not decide the nature of who you are. That only decides the nature of your activity, not the nature of who you are. So continuing with this then, uh, what is the role of a guru in a person's journey? <laughs> how do we, as students or as people over here, how do we… how do we find a guru? And how do we know that that person is actually… is a guru or is actually leading us to the correct path? If he confuses the hell out of you <laughs> and you still like him, he's your guru. If somebody is trying to help you to find certainty in an uncertain world, he is not your guru. He is trying to sing a lullaby to you. Do you understand? The nature of life is such that every moment it is changing and evolving into something else. But somebody tries to create a certainty, don't worry, God will take care of you, God is holding your hand, everything will be fine, everything will be fine. They have been saying this for a long time but life has buggered people by pretty badly in so many ways, yes? So this is not about inventing a psychological certainty and getting completely delinked from the reality of the existence. The nature of the existence is such, nothing can be stagnant here. It is only the dynamic nature from atomic to cosmic that is keeping the existence going including the human being and every other life. So a guru is not somebody who will give you solace, he is a solution because the only reason why you may need him is because it's an unfamiliar terrain. See every year I trek in the Himalayas, even in the Indian part or generally now in Nepal and Tibet, there this Sherpa guy who leads me on. Well, your lungs will be in your mouth, you're at eighteen thousand feet and your lungs is in your mouth and you're determined you're going step by step. There are two roads, this looks nice and easy. This guy says, mm-mm, he won't say, Sadhguruji, please, this is the way. No, he's a mm. He's carrying my bags and he's illiterate but he says, hmm, like this. Without argument, I follow. Though this looks better to me, I just follow because I know he knows the terrain better than me. I know the mountains very well but still I know he knows it better than me. Once I recognize that, it is sensible to follow him. If you do your own thing, you won't last. The same thing goes with the inner terrain. When you go into a terrain that's unfamiliar to you, it's best to go with somebody who's already walked the terrain. Otherwise to find your neighborhood, you may go around the planet and come back. That is also one way, but it's a brief life <laughs> So, I want to bring to a different theme. Why are you… why are you copying questions, sir? Huh? I just wanted to make I've sure… I've seen that people are copying answers but… Uh <laughs> <laughs> to, um, so as students, a lot of us uh, 
in the, especially in an institute like IIT, we did a survey and we found that uh, a lot of students are under stress. And we're used to a mechanism of uh, the reward and punishment mechanism. So till the time there's no sword hanging on us, till the time there's no deadline, uh, we'll procrastinate and we'll wait for things to happen. And that's mm. when we do. And uh, when we talk to students, they say that, uh, I think this is the way we know how to work. This is the way we are trained. And uh, related to this, many of them say that uh, fear of failure sometimes motivates them. And they see that uh, this is essential and this is how things have to happen. Is that so that this is the only way we can work? Or because it sometimes makes us feel very restricted and yeah. Is there a way where we can be free of this? So let's understand this in a more fundamental way. See, when we say stress, when we say anxiety, when we say depression, when we say misery, or when we say joy, when we say bliss, when we say ecstasy or love or whatever, all human experience comes from within you. Is this so, all of you? I'm asking for a higher opinion <laughs> Is this so? All human experience happens from within you. At least what happens from within you must happen the way you want it. Yes or no? Now, you're still in a university. Once you step out into the larger world, this is a very protected world you're living in. If you, this you're thinking sword is hanging on your head, you'll have a bomb ticking <laughs> once you step out. <laughs> This is a very comfortable life, very protected life. Here nothing is hanging on you, okay? Yes, you need to pass your examinations, whatever. There are some challenges, I'm not saying no. But all human experience happens from within you. Whatever comes from within you, can I assume that you're doing it? If something sweet comes out of you right now, can I assume you're saying something sweet? Yes. Something nasty comes out of you, can I assume you're saying it? Yes. Or is it your ego? <laughs> I think the ego then. Because this has become the way of the world. People have found all kinds of fall guys, spiritual fall guys and civil fall guys. If they do something wonderful, they say, it's me. If they do something nasty, they say, it's that Mr. Ego, that guy does this. If they do something wonderful in the world, they say, it's me. If something go, little goes wrong in their life, they'll find one little guy here and say, it's because of him. If something big goes wrong in their life, they'll find one big guy there and say, it's because of him. This guy is missing. This guy needs to come into the play. Only when this guy comes into play, you call that life. Yes? When this guy plays, this is called life. If that guy plays, I don't know what it means. This guy plays, this is rubbish. Everything that grows on in my life, somebody who can't stand up to me, he is responsible. Something big goes wrong in my life, he is responsible. This one is missing. One who is missing, how can he experience life? How can he create life? How can he know life? 
So this guy has to come into play. So one important thing that needs to happen in the world today is, we have to move from religion to responsibility. <clears throat> we have been slinking around with life. When things happen, I'm there, when it don't happen, somewhere, somewhere. No, if you understand it's me who is ca causing anxiety to myself, not my examination. When I join the institution, I know there are going to be examinations, isn't it? What is causing anxiety is not something else. My inability to handle my own thought and my own emotion, isn't it? If it so happened, your left hand is free right now, your left hand is free. Suppose it pops up and punches you in the face, what will you do? I will ask him to restrain the left hand. <laughs> if it doesn't work, we'll ask them to tie it up. If it doesn't work at all, if it's going to pull out your eyeballs, then we may have to amputate it. Yes or no? Right now, that is all you're trying to do. To beat the anxiety, you'll drown yourself in alcohol. To beat the anxiety, you burn yourself down with smoke. What you're trying to do is amputate yourself because you don't know to how to handle the potential of being human. Your problem is very evolutionary. When I say evolutionary, see do you know, I mean you're all uh, engineering students so I'm asking do you know. Uh, <clears throat> do you know the DNA difference between you and a chimpanzee is only 1.23 percent? One point two three percent is not much of a difference, isn't it? <laughs> yes or no? Physiologically, that is how close to a chimpanzee you are. But in terms of your intelligence, intellect and awareness, you are worlds apart from a chimpanzee. Or in other words, your intellect or the cerebral activities in evolutionary scale, it's of recent origin, it's new. You still not learned how to deal with it. You have an intelligence for which you don't have a stable enough base. The only and only reason you suffer either misery or anxiety or depression or whatever, this may sound very cruel to you, but the reality is this, that your own intelligence has turned against you, it is like You've been given a sharp knife, you don't know how to handle it. Every day you keep cutting yourself and you think there is something wrong with the knife. No, you don't have a steady hand. If your intelligence worked for you one hundred percent, would you create blissfulness or misery for yourself? Joy or misery, please choose right now, I'm going to bless you <laughs> For yourself, you clearly know highest level of pleasantness is what you want. What you want for your neighbor may be debatable. What you want for yourself is very, very clear, isn't it? So you create ghosts of your own and try to fight them. Can I tell you a joke? Okay? No, because you're from Delhi, I'm asking you <laughs> An Indian man, probably from an IIT, 
went to United States, of course as a technology person to start with. Then he started dab dabbling with some investments, then he started playing the stock market. In 1996, I think, four or six, I'm not sure, in one of those years, he had a windfall in the American stock market. That year, he earned the highest amount of money on the Amer US stock market, which is not a small amount, it's a huge sum. He was already over sixty years of age. Just the previous year, he was divorced, timely divorce had happened because in California law, you have to share fifty percent with the wife. Just one year ahead of this windfall, the wife had left him and he wanted to spend this money upon himself. So he bought himself a 1932 Ferrari for thirty-six million dollars. He bought a Beverly Hills home for eighty million dollars. Then he was over sixty, he wants to live long, so he thought he needs a medical checkup. In Northern California, there are medical institutions which are swankier than seven-star hotels and you can go there, not some dreary medical checkup in one day everything, fifteen days you can get admitted for a fortnight and you can choose your tests. Unlike you, you can't choose your tests <laughs> You can choose your tests, all kinds of esoteric tests are there, you can choose what kind of tests you want to go through. So the entire space was nice, they appointed a very pretty looking young woman to take care of him, he was enjoying the entire process. On the fourth day, he was feeling very relaxed in the evening and he was lying on his bed and fortunately, what should happen in the toilet happened upon the bed. He felt very embarrassed and he did not know how to handle this mess. Not knowing how to handle this mess, he was just looking how to do this. Just then he heard this young woman coming towards the room. In America fortunately, young ladies don't cannot walk quietly, they walk talk, 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 talk. So when he heard this talk, 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 she know, he knows that she is coming, he does not want this young lady to see the mess on the bed. So he just gathered all the hospital white sheets and threw it out of the fifth floor window. Down below, a regular man was going home from a party. And it's such an unfair world. Because a man is expected to walk on a round planet and the damn thing is spinning all the time. This you realize only when you have had a few, ma few drops too many or a few drops between your ears are gone. <laughs> so he was walking sideways and slowly finding his way home. Then the sheets came and covered him. Then he screamed and yelled and fought with the sheets. It took him over two minutes to get the sheets down. Then the sheets got down and he was looking at the sheets dazed. The security arrived hearing all this commotion. They said, what's all the commotion about? The man said, it looks like I've beaten the shit out of a ghost <laughs> So, it's your thought. What happens in your mind is your thought, isn't it? It's your emotion. Unfortunately, unfortunately our education systems from an early age have not taught you this much, how to handle your thought, how to handle your emotion. If you did not know how to handle your hands, it would be a mess, isn't it? 
This you will know if you come to Tamil Nadu, you will suddenly realize Tamil people can use their fingers far better than you. That is on a banana leaf, they will put rice and rasam. You will see it will go all over the place <laughs> but they won't let a drop go anywhere. In two minutes it will be dry, just with their fingers. So everybody can get to use what they have much better than the way they're handling it right now, isn't it? If you knew how to handle your thought and emotion, would you think anxiety is a problem? Would you think stress is a problem, tension is a problem? Would you, would you think such things would exist for you? So essentially, it is our inability to handle our own thought process, our own emotions that all this is happening. Instead of learning to handle it, we are giving labels to all our inabilities, all kinds of exotic titles for ourselves. No, this is not the way to go about it. I'm telling you, this is the easiest part of your life, being in a protected institution like this, getting the best of academics and you just have to pass an examination, that's all. Once you step out, uh, it's another game. <laughs> you said that this is the easiest part of life as a students, but we see that uh, a lot of youngsters fall into the clutches of stress, depression and to cope with that they go into the addictions like alcohol, drug, porn, internet etc. And they think that it will give them relief. I didn't know internet was along with the drugs <laughs> So how to deal with them? Look at me, I'm always stoned <laughs> Never been on a substance, but you must understand, whatever stimulants, whatever stimulus you may take from outside, Essentially human experience of all kinds is caused only from within. The question is only, are you on push start or are you on self start? Which is better technologically? Self start. So, if I teach you, suppose I teach you that you can simply sit here and be totally blissed out, more stoned than anybody on the campus. At the same time, you're fully aware, would you go for it? Hmm? Would you go for it? Fully stoned, fully conscious, would you go for it? See, the only problem with your alcohol, drugs, everything is not a moral issue. It is a life issue because it destroys life. It's not a morality that this is good, this is bad, that's not the point. The point is it makes you incapable in so many ways. There was uh, a certain Israeli scientist who was researching on marijuana or cannabis. Over eighteen years, the U.S. Drug and Drug Administration gave him large quantities of marijuana and he went on experimenting and eighteen years time he came up with really nothing significant and uh, during mid-eighties, when American agencies were fighting drug on the street, they changed their policy of fighting the 
suppliers in Mexico and South America, they decided to fight on the street with the users. So they said, uh, somebody said, this is not right, you're giving this man such a big stock, we don't know what he's doing because he's not produced anything, eighteen years of research. Then he moved to Israel. The Israeli government looked at his work and they decided to give him big stocks of marijuana. And after another three and a half, four years, he came up with this. He found that in the human brain, there are millions of cannabis receptors. Then he threw this question to various disciplines. Anthropologists tried to look at it and say, at some time in history maybe every human being was smoking, that's why there are receptors. Then they said, this is rubbish because in many parts of the world it was not there. Even an Eskimo has cannabis receptors where he has never seen anything like this. Then various things happened and the neurologists came up with this. They said, always the human brain is waiting for the cannabis, that which causes intoxication. Not waiting for it from outside, it can generate from within, that is why there are receptors. So, this is something that we have always known. I can show you, I'm there always, but <laughs> you look at my eyes, I'm always stoned. But as aware as anybody can be, if you do not know intoxication in life, you will never know a sense of abandon. If you don't have a sense of abandon, you will never walk full stride in your life you will only walk half steps all the time. Only when there is no fear of suffering because you are highly intoxicated and fully aware, not because you consume substances which will take away your awareness, simply because you are keeping the system, the human mechanism at its highest function. Now it is fully self-sufficient, blissed out all the time. Now you will not think of all these things. I'm… I want you to look at this, all young people, I want you to look at this. In your life, would you like to do that which works or that which does not work? Hmm? Human intelligence is always looking for that which works, isn't it? That which does not work is not what we are interested in, that which works. When <coughs> Just wondering how far to take you, you look like a nice boy <laughs> This is… it is just this. Every experience, whatever happens to you, right now let's look at it this way. Right now, all of you, those who are in the upper regions also, do you see me? even if you're not listening, do you see me? <laughs> if you see me, can you use one of your hands and point out where I am? You also. Oh, you got it wrong. You know I'm a mystic <laughs> from southern India. <laughs> so, today you know, 
this light is falling upon me, reflecting, going through your lenses, inverted image in the retina, you know the entire story, isn't it? So you see me within yourself, you hear me within yourself. Where have you seen the whole world? Within yourself. The way it is projected in the firmament of your mind, you are not seeing the world the way it is, you are seeing it the way it's projected within you. A grasshopper may not be seeing the world the way you see it, he's seeing it differently. Yes or no? Same world, but he sees it differently because his visual apparatus are made completely different. You know that different animals hear, some hear subsonic sounds, some hear ultrasonic sounds. We… we don't hear both of them, yes? We hear something else. So we are all living in the same world, but seeing and hearing things completely differently. What is day for us, what is light for us, is darkness for some other creature, what is darkness for them is light for us. Obviously, our instruments of perception are created for our survival process and their instruments of survival are crafted for their survival process. But now your intelligence has blossomed to a place where survival is not good enough. You want to know the nature of life. Once this longing comes, then you must understand the instruments of perception need to be enhanced. These instruments, five senses of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching, they are not good enough because they are only instruments of survival. They are not instruments of true knowing because they show you everything in comparison. When I say everything in comparison, right now if you're six feet tall, you stand like a tall man, you walk like a tall man, you think like a tall man, you are a tall man. You went to another society where everybody is eight feet tall. Suddenly you stand like a short man, walk like a short man, think like a short man, you are a short man, isn't it? <laughs> I'm saying what you know in comparison is only good for survival process, not to know the nature of life. So right now everything that you know is only by comparison. If I touch this, I feel it's cool. No, that's not the reality. The reality is because my body temperature is in a certain way, I make a judgment that this is cool. Suppose I lower my body temperature substantially and then I touch this, this would be warm to me, yes or no? So what you're perceiving is only by comparison. What you know by comparison is just a distortion of reality. It is good enough for survival, it is not good enough to know the nature of life. Now you're talking about stress and anxiety. <coughs> As I said, every year we've been trekking in Himalayas. Two years ago, I'm in a tent somewhere in Nepal and I'm doing some work. Someone else is cutting an apple. There's another person in the tent. That person tells this person, be careful, it's a very sharp knife. It irritates me because I call something a knife only if it's sharp. What about you all? <laughs> I call something as a knife only if it's really sharp, otherwise I will call it a screwdriver. <laughs> I look at this and then I continue my work and another two minutes again it is said, be careful, it's a very sharp knife. I say, come on, leave the man alone. If it's a child, yes. But this is a gr full-grown man, he knows how to handle a knife, not a complicated machinery.
said, no Sadhguru, it's a very sharp knife <laughs> Then I continue my work. Another two minutes, I hear a whisper, be careful, it's a very sharp knife <laughs> Another two minutes, he cuts his hand, <laughs> then I give up <laughs> Why I'm saying this to you is, knife is not a sharp instrument, a knife is not a dangerous instrument. Every day in the world, both in terms of kitchens and operation theatres, tell me, are knives saving more lives or taking more lives? Saving more lives. In an irresponsible hand, it may take somebody's life. Knife is not dangerous. It is in whose hands it is, what kind of hand is it which makes it dangerous. Knife is not a dangerous instrument, yes or no? Only if an unsteady hand is handling, if a child holds a knife, we say, be careful, be careful because… not because knife is dangerous, because the hand is not steady. Right now, this is the situation. Compared to every other creature on the planet, your intellect is little sharper than them. Would you like to have a sharp intellect or a dull one? Sharp. If you want a sharp intellect, you must learn to hold it right. Otherwise, every day you start poking, this is self-help, you know? When was the last time somebody stabbed you with a dagger in the… When was the last time somebody stabbed you with a dagger? Even in Delhi it doesn't happen. Maybe somebody poked you with a pin at the most when you were in school or maybe they ignored you, they did not even do that. So what I am saying is, how much suffering is actually coming from outside? Minuscule, isn't it? Rest is all self-help. So once your intelligence turns against you, believe me, no force in the universe can save you. So it's very important. Before you do anything else in your life, you learn to bring your body and mind to a state where your body takes instructions from you. Your mind takes instructions from you, they must serve you, you should not be serving them. Otherwise, you will live a very poor life, very poor life. Because you can only live a life of some significance only when your mind and your body works for you, not against you, isn't it? At least this much every human being should take charge of. Sadhguru, when… so when we… Uh... I speak to my friends around here and whenever we talk about meditation or yoga, they say, like, ah, nah, that's for the old people, that's not for us and uh, we're not very interested in it. And uh, one of my friends said, I tried meditating and I slept. So uh, why is it that uh, meditation and yoga is perceived as something for the old and not for the young generation and it's like, yeah, uh, we don't need this? <coughs> Maybe because that is the kind of people they have met <laughs> in the sense. Yoga means uh, they saw all yogis who fell out of the calendars printed in Shivakashi, you know, in South India. <laughs> right, all right? They thought yoga means you're not interested in life. That's their general thing. I'm doing everything possible to change this perception, many things. 
this is not for anything because you're young people, I'm saying. Something physical you learn, let's say you learn to ride a dirt bike, let's say you learn to do skydiving, let's say you learn to fly a helicopter, let's say you learn to ski, do something. What you may take three years or five years to learn, I will do it in three months at this age. Would you like to do that at an early age or when you're dying? I'm asking you. Early age. Then you must do yoga <laughs> I will tell you, I got into yoga for all the wrong reasons. But that is the beauty of life. Even for wrong reasons, if you do the right thing, it works. I was just eleven, twelve years of age. Every summer vacation, we go to our grandfather's ancestral home, where in the backyard there is a well, which is about eight feet in diameter, about hundred and fifty feet in depth. Water generally in summer will be at least sixty, seventy feet below the ground level. So one of the sport for us young boys is to jump into this well and climb up. When you jump, you have to go properly. Otherwise, your brains will become a smear on the wall. And to come up, there is no step, there is no foothold, nothing, just holding the rock you have to climb. I remember just the sheer pressure, my weight, I was not very heavy, but still my weight on just two fingers, three fingers like this, my nails would bleed out of sheer pressure, not injury, just hanging onto the rock like that with claws. But I would do that and I was very proud that I'm good at it. One day, a man who is over seventy years of age, simply standing there and silently watching us, we ignored him because seventy means for us he was dead <laughs> Not now, okay <laughs> uh, Perspectives of life will change, you know <laughs> At that time seventy means he's gone <laughs> But without a word, this man who was over seventy-two years of age at that time, he just walked to the well and jumped. I thought he's finished <laughs> But he came up faster than me. I didn't like it. Then I asked, how? He said, come, do yoga. Like a puppy, I went behind him <laughs> because I found him so superhuman that he could do things that no young man could do. So, I got into yoga for all the wrong reasons. So, it doesn't matter how you get in, which door you enter from, it doesn't matter. As long as you do the right things, it works. Essentially, what yoga means is this. You use a cell phone? What? Samsung, iPhone? Yes, Samsung. Yeah. So you didn't use the seven. So, if you have a cell phone, is it true or any gadget, the more you know about it, the better you can use it? Is it so? Yes, yes or no? Yes. That's what your entire engineering is about, to know more about everything so that you can use it better, make it better, isn't it? Why is that not true with this? More you know about this, the better you can use it. Anyway, of all the gadgets, gadgets that you find on this planet, is this 
the most sophisticated mechanism on the planet. Do you agree with me? If you don't agree with me, then something wrong with you <laughs> This is the most sophisticated mechanism on the planet, isn't it? Why is it that you have not paid attention as to see what are all the intricacies of what this is? What this means is, you haven't read the user's manual, but you want to blunder into the world. So just education is becoming stress. If you want to create something in the world, you will see so many more challenges. So education which is the simplest process of all, if that is becoming stress, this is simply because you, not, you have not read the user's manual at all. Simply, Samsung, we don't know what will happen, you must learn how to use it. Similarly this, so if you know perfectly well how to use this, then we say you are self-realized. Self-realized does not mean you went to heaven. You know this perfectly well. You know everything, the range of things that this can do. This is all I know in my life. I know this piece of life from its origin to its ultimate. People think I know everything, that's their problem. I know only this <laughs> so, so there's a lot of talk about our country, India these days. So even in the world platforms we th see that the things are improving. But going to the past of India, if we see the history of world civilizations, we see that India particularly stands out very clearly when it comes to developing ways of this self-experiential ways of realizing this uh, inner truth about ourselves or knowing the body and the higher truths through self-experiential ways. So what do you think was it that we were able to do properly that we were able to discover these things and and not just that, we were not just able to discover but also like proliferate them into the social ecosystem. What was it that led us into this? Essentially a long spell of peaceful civilized life, a long spell. You must understand this. The reason why we got this long spell is in the north we were protected by the Himalayan ranges, in the south by the Indian Ocean. So this is Himalaya, the Indian Ocean that we call today as Indian Ocean, at that time was called as Indusagara. This is why we took the identity, he and do, Hindu. Hindu is not a religion, not a belief system, not a God-oriented God thing, it is a geographical identity. Unfortunately, it's turned into many things today, that's a different thing. So, we identified with these two geographical features because we realized it's only because of these features that we had an undisturbed civilization growing without any external agencies coming and disturbing us. When there is a long spell for a human being where he doesn't have to fight for his survival on a daily basis, that is when human genius flowers. In many ways human genius flowered. We produce the greatest mathematicians, greatest astronomers, greatest musicians, all kinds of people and many technologies which we refuse to use simply because we foresaw if you go this way what will happen to the world, various things. If you look back on the glorious history of this country, it is simply because, which is true even today, see you can build a great society or a great nation or a great world not by talking about it, 
only by building individual human beings who are truly great. Without great human beings, where is a great society? Society is just a word, nation is just a word, world is just a word. Individual human beings are the only reality. What kind of people we are, that's the kind of India we have, isn't it? So, the focus right from ancient times in this country was always about individual development. We never see… this is why the Western commentators are missing the entire point. They don't… they think India never had a civilization because we never spoke about it. We refused to speak about society, about nation. We only spoke about individual development because if you generate great individuals, we will naturally have a great society. A great society is a consequence, it is not the cause. The cause is great individuals. So our focus was always on producing great human beings, never on producing a great society or a nation, that happened as a consequence. So, so uh, do you think that from ancient times till now, uh, do you think that things in India have changed? So if, if they have, what, br what brought us to the change we are, here, we are in? And how do you see the, this development process of great individuals, how do you see that being manifested in the modern times? And if I may add, uh, how, can, uh, how can these ideas, uh, it's, it's something that I'm assuming that they're not so prevalent in today's systems. I'm the, sorry, not? I'm assuming that these ideas of individual development, focus on an individual, are not so prevalent in today's system, be it no, education… No, we've gotten into mass production. Yes. Yes, yes. So how can we actually bring them back and uh, how should India then, if I ask a larger question, how should India's model of development be? Is it just aping the West or can we bring back those elements of individual development? See, for anything to happen, you need a certain ecosystem, certain economic… Uh, what to say, a certain economic depth to… for people to able to do it. You must understand this. The generation that we were growing up, our parents were just crazy that you must somehow get one degree and get into a government job. Your parents are not doing that, they are thinking little more easy, they are th trying to explore things, they want you to do a startup, they want you to do a business, they want you to get into sport. This was never there. They were just saying, get a job somehow, otherwise you will be on the street. This was the level of economics of the time. Today there is a little more economic space where parents are looking at their children little differently, still we are little compressed in the heads, but little more ease than what it was forty, fifty years ago. Ask all your professors, they were just push, push, get a job, get a job first thing. Today, parents are not looking like that, they're looking at what can you create, what can, I, what can our children create, what can they live, how about their happiness. Nobody ever thought about our happiness, <laughs> okay <laughs> So, it needs a certain economic depth for any society to experiment, to have little more freedom to do things. Otherwise, putting them put through the extruder and getting them out in some form in which they are useful, this is what the society will do. This is a natural consequence of fifteen, twenty generations of extreme poverty. This is… this mental structure and this economic structure is a consequence of fifteen to twenty generations of extreme poverty. Very bad poverty means India has suffered poverty like nobody else. People may show 
uh, you know, pictures of Africa and stuff, you must know this. In Africa there have been famines, there have been wars, unnecessary wars and tribal wars which have caused this in small scale. In India, the level of malnourishment and poverty that's happened in the last two centuries is most painful. No other nation on the planet has suffered as much as this country. No other country has lost as many people as we have lost in the last century just for hunger and lack of nourishment. Even today it is true, though we are much better today, even today unfortunately it is true that we have the highest number of malnourished people in the country. More than sixty percent of the rural population even today, they have not grown, their skeletal system has not grown to full size. When they are in that state, you are only thinking how to make a living. You are not thinking of how to open up human genius, you are not interested in all that. You are not thinking how to become self-realized, you are only thinking how to make a living. So this has happened to us because we have been an occupied nation for too long. We have been ripped off in every other way. There is no point blaming somebody, we didn't take care of it at that time, it went out of our hands. But two hundred fifty, three hundred years ago, everybody wanted to come to India. Why? Because it was the richest country on the planet. We occupied a thirty-three percent space in the, in the economic space of the planet at one time. Today probably we are two or three percent, hmm? So, because of this extreme poverty, we have a certain mindset. But I think in a generation or in next fifteen, twenty years, a whole lot of people will come out of this because there's little more ease, little more space to play with, little more space to push it. So as a part of this, we are creating this space in many ways. We have three types of education, you know, in Isha. We have what's called as Isha Vidya, which is in rural India, which includes our own schools, which are mainly focused towards teaching English language, computer sciences, regular academic education at a certain level, bring discipline and well-being, health and well-being, nourishment, which is most important in the villages, and get them out of the village because to get out of that economic and social pit in which they are, education is just a passport for them. That's one level of education. Another level of education, we have what's called as Isha homeschool. This is for the little more affluent people, this happens inside the yoga center itself. We have a huge tract of land and various facilities. These schools are run in a certain way. Twenty children live with two dedicated house parents and everything, the school itself is inside the house. That's why it's called a home school. Only for playground, laboratory and libraries, they go out. Everything is inside the house. This turns out expensive, an expensive way of delivering education, but this is done by dedicated people. As a rule, we never take any trained teachers. We have doctors, engineers, accountants, all kinds of people, but no trained teachers because we want education to happen as an inspiration, not as putting, you know, uh, shoving down ins information down somebody's throat as an inspiration. Children should get that spark of wanting to know something. There is a whole range of activity of theatre, art, music, sport, all kinds of things. Many of our… I mean two, three of our boys are now in professional football in Germany. So like this, they're going into various things. This school gives an enormous range of things and I made this now. Eleventh, twelfth, I made it three years, not two years, three years. I said, one year extra because 
by the time they got… get to eleventh, a whole lot of parents will get marks mad. We have invested so much time in music, theatre and many, many things. Now eleventh standard comes and everything is dropped and they just start doing only trying to get marks. So I said, three years, if you want, you stay, otherwise no. The surprising thing is nobody wants to withdraw their children. This wouldn't have happened twenty-five years ago. Everybody would have withdraw, withdrawn their children. Now nobody wants to be… not even one child wants to be withdrawn. Everybody wants to go through three years for two years. Just as an experiment, I announced this. Everybody is taking to it. The idea is, see Indians, wherever I go, what I see is they are in the best jobs, they are earning well, they are highly qualified but they can't sing, they can't dance, they can't paint, they can't do any damn thing except going to work. Really, this is an unfortunate thing, there's no life. So <clears throat> so I thought we must invest enough in the children. Before they get into professional colleges, we have to invest enough in their art, music, sport, variety of interest, they must explore many things. There's another school which we call as Isha Sanskriti, here, if any child enters, compulsorily they must stay with us as a commitment for twelve years. Only with that commitment we take the children. Here there is no academics, they learn only yoga. Kalari Paitu, which is the mother of all martial arts, have you seen Kalari Paitu, Kerala? Yes. Kalari Paitu, classical dance, classical music, Sanskrit language and English language. This is all they learn. You must see these children, you won't believe. They are a different set of human beings altogether. Here the focus is just this, developing human body and human brain to its fullest without a purpose. I am doing this because this is how I grew up. I grew up without a purpose. My father was be beat his head and said, what will this boy do? He's not getting qualified for anything. So I would say if I'm not qualified for anything, I can do just about everything <laughs> So, <laughs> these children are growing up in such a way, most amazing, you won't believe it unless you see it. I'm just to tell you an experience. From age of six to eighteen, they are with us. After that, if they wish, they can stay, otherwise they can go out and do what they want to do. There are many things that they can do which we are supporting them to do. From fifteen to eighteen, they become monks for three years. Extreme discipline and focus very serious practices. So before I initiate, this compulsorily they have to come out at eighteen. We, they cannot choose to be monks. They have to come out at eighteen because this… we have allowed… we have made them go into it as children. When they become adults, they must come out of it. There is… they cannot choose to continue. So first batch, I wanted to initiate, now another is coming now in July, the third one. The first batch when I went to initiate about three years ago, Sixty days, fifteen-year-old children, they have been on sixty days of silence. Morning three-thirty to eight-thirty in the evening, they are in some kind of yogic sadhana. Minimum of eight hours they're keeping their eyes closed and sitting, okay? Just another four days are left for the initiation, I want to see how these boys and girls are doing. Fourteen of them in the first batch, I went there to see morning three-thirty. I went and sat in the room. These eight boys and six girls were sitting there. I'll never forget this in my life. They were just sitting there like that. Believe me, they were literally glowing. 
I sat there and wept because I've never seen children like this in my life. I was not like this when I was fifteen, for sure. They are beyond anything that you can think of, simply because they are focused in developing the human mechanism to its fullest, not about how to earn my living, this is not the question. When an earthworm with one millionth of your brain can earn a living, with such a big brain, earning a living is it such a big problem? It is the most… it's the grossest way to approach life is, how will I earn my living? Everybody can earn their living. The only problem comes in your life when you want to live like somebody else, that's a problem. But earning a living is not a problem. If you just make what is considered survival minimal, don't go on exaggerating it, then you will see you have a whole lot of time and opportunity to create what you want in your life. But people keep on raising the bar of survival so much that they will not get to do anything in their life except surviving. In the end, they don't know why they survived. So I think there's a lot of curiosity in the audience also building up. So uh, unless you have some general comments to make, we can open the floor to the audience. You're all engineers. Uh, They're disarming you <laughs> uh, We must understand this, engineering means essentially to make things happen the way we want it. That's engineering, isn't it? To engineer this building means what? We want it the way we want it. We could have sat under a tree, but we choose to build this building because we want to sit under something engineered the way we want it, as suitable for us. We air conditioned the place because we want the temperature in a certain way. All this we did. But is it not important that you engineer this the way you want it? Hello? Outside is air conditioned, inside is boiling, what's the point? I'm saying power is being wasted on you. <laughs> in the last hundred, hundred and fifty years, with the advent of science and technology, we have more comforts and conveniences than any generation ever could imagine, isn't it? Yes or no? I'm looking for a higher opinion again <laughs> You have more comforts and conveniences than any generation could ever imagine. We are the most comfortable generation ever, physically, materially. But can you say, are you the most peaceful generation? Joyful? Loving? No. Or can you even say you're the most intelligent generation? That'll be a wrong thing to say. Anybody who claims he's intelligent amounts to foolishness, isn't it? Because the significance of intelligence is, it shows you how many loopholes are there in your intelligence. Only a fool thinks there are no loopholes. 
A truly intelligent person always sees how many loopholes in my intelligence. The significance of being in a technological institute is not about just getting qualified to get some job somewhere or a passport out of the country. It should become a way of creating life, making life happen better than the way it's happening right now because this is a fundamental responsibility that we have as a generation of people because we occupy this space on the planet for a short brief time. When the last generation gave this planet to us, whichever way they gave it, it's our business that when we leave it, we leave it little better than the way we had it, very important. How better, in what way better, you can decide that. I won't say only ecologically better, but in every way better. It must be better than the way we got it. This means we have to engineer ourselves to fit in such a way. See, a well-engineered machine means least amount of friction, isn't it so? Yes? A well-engineered machine means what? Least amount of friction. Heavy friction means badly engineered, isn't it? Isn't that the understanding? So the fundamentals of yoga is this. The fundamentals of yoga is in the geometry of physical existence. If you understand the geometry of what this human mechanism is, the body is, the psychological structure is, the chemical processes are, the energy structures are, if you understand the geometry of this and become capable of observing the cosmic geometry, if these two things are well aligned, suddenly your life hits off like a magic. Your life is no more a miserable drag, but it's magical simply because you have gotten the right geometry of things. Anything that is geometrically perfect will function absolutely smoothly and for a very long time. This is something that you must do to yourself when you're young. It doesn't matter what you want to do in your life. One thing must happen, your body and your brain should not come in your way. They must work for you. Yes or no? Hello? Never your body and your mind should not come in the way of who you want to be. Right now for most people, they themselves are a big issue. When you are an issue, how will you address the issues in the world? If you really want to address the issues in the world, this one should never be an issue, isn't it? I am not the issue here, I am never the problem. If there are problems, I will deal with it, but I am never the problem. This must happen to you, isn't it? Please make yourself like this, that you are never the problem. You are always a part of the solution, never a part of the problem. Right now, <laughs> right now we have developed a certain attitude in the country, a whole lot of people, for every solution they invent a problem. <laughs> for every solution they have found a problem. So there are people who are working for problems, there are people who are working for solutions. Young people should stand up and become a solution for future generations to come and your own life to blossom because the greatest fulfillment in one's life is that you function in such a way that 
you could do something which is much larger than yourself. This must happen. This is the highest fulfillment of activity, that you are able to do something which is larger than yourself. Only then you will see fulfillment in activity. Activity is one thing, but most important thing is how you are. People come to me like, right now you are all saying your IIT is the problem, so I am inviting you to IYC, Isha Yoga Center. <laughs> Lot of people come to me and say, Sadhguru, this, these are people who passed out. Okay. Sadhguru, my mother-in-law, she's… she's another… you know, from somewhere else she's <laughs> I just don't know how to live with this person. And my husband, after all her son, My wife, impossible. My boss, he's not even human. <laughs> like this it goes on. Then I tell them, see, don't worry. Your husband, wife, mother-in-law, boss, nobody will come here. You're protected. Like IIT. Your IYC also well protected. Nobody will come here. You just come and stay. I'll give you a nice place to say, food is good. You don't have to do anything, just be joyful, that's all. None of these tormentors are there. Just be joyful. Twenty-four hours you leave them in the one room, you must see in how many ways they twist themselves out. When you are alone, if you are miserable, you are obviously in bad company, isn't it? So all the young people should do this to yourself, at least for three days, one week, I will provide you the atmosphere, otherwise you can walk into the Himalayas. <laughs> but there, there is no food and supply, you know, you will have to go searching, I will provide you food, everything. Just come spend some time, not with any purpose, simply. If you sit alone for three days, no television, no book, no texting, simply by yourself, let's see what happens. You must know the nature of who you are. You should not go on dodging yourself and one day you will explode into something. You must know what is the level of madness you're suffering. When I say madness, if your mind is out of your control, is that called madness in, defin in definition? Hello? If your mind does not take instructions from you, it's out of control, is that called madness? Just try. Just today after this event, just go sit quietly in your room. Just see what all your mind does. You… you decide, don't tell anybody. You decide what is the level of madness you're going through. With this if you enter the world, what will you create? You will only create who you are, isn't it? You cannot do anything other than what you are. What you are is what will happen to the world around you. Before you step out into the world, is it not important, at least you are this much equipped that you are not the problem? If you meet a problem and get married, we'll see. But <laughs> you are not the problem. <laughs> Can you make this happen for yourself as young people, that you are never the problem? Hmm? You are not the issue in your life. Other issues, if they come, we will deal with it to the best of our ability, but this should not be an issue, isn't it?
This can be easily done, very simple processes. If you invest on twenty, thirty minutes a day, you can bring this possibility into your life. It is just that it needs a certain orientation because life is continuously outward. To turn inward, it needs a certain help and situation has to be created to make that happen. We are very much willing to do that with you. It's my wish and my blessing, this must happen to every youth of this country because India, the people of India has suffered immensely. I don't know to what extent all of you are exposed, many of you are from good families. I have walked through rural societies right from my, you know, uh, early youth. It's not good, believe me. It's just not good, it's not some idyllic situation out there. It is bad. It's very bad in most parts of the world. Where we are, they say they are the better off states. The better off states are like that. I know the Bimarus, how they are. We can't just live like this. We can't just continue to live like this, insulating our humanity and thinking everything is okay. It's time we… we have a living humanity that our heart beats for everything, our heart bleeds for everything and we will do the best we can do. In our lives, if we do not do what we cannot do, there's no problem. But if we do not do what we can do, we are a disastrous life, isn't it? It's my wish and my blessing, you should not be that disaster. All right, so we'll now begin with the audience Q&A. Anyone who has a question can raise his hand and we have students here who will get the mic to you. So. Where are you? Okay. Little closer if you can, yeah. So one way to liberate is to resolve all suffering to you. All? All suffering to me? I am not sulfuric acid, I'm <laughs> Let's understand this. What is dissolution? Uh, I don't know how you got this, uh, that's not what has been said anywhere, but little off, but let me correct that. <coughs> See, whether people are conscious of it or not conscious of it, every human being, knowingly or unknowingly, are seeking solutions to wherever they are. Isn't it so? Or in other words, the nature of human intelligence is such that wherever you are, there is a problem. Yes? This happened. You… it's okay if I tell you a joke? I know it's a serious question, very spiritual <laughs> A husband and wife who are over seventy years of age were celebrating their forty-fifth wedding anniversary. So they decided they will go through everything just the way it happened on the wedding day. 
So wedding got over, they went to the church where they got married, they came out of it at the same time. Then as they did on that day, they went to a romantic Italian movie. Then after that, they went for a dinner in a particular restaurant. They had the same kind of food and the same kind of wine and they started driving. Then the wife said, John, what's happened with you? Do you remember forty-five years ago when we were driving, how passionately you kissed me? So he said, okay <laughs> Hey, don't laugh, you don't know what is forty-five years later <laughs> That's a different world, okay <laughs> So he tried to kiss her and unfortunately, forty-five years later your body is not the same, and the cars are faster and boom, they went into the bridge. So they were at the gates of heaven. <laughs> then they got checked in together <laughs> and uh, because both of them were golfers, they asked, is there a golf course in heaven? Saint Peter said, yes, the best the best golf course you would have ever seen. So, can we see? He said, fine. They saw it was an immaculate course. They asked, can we tee off? Is there a tea time? Any time is tea time in heaven, day or night. So, but we don't have our clubs, no problem. Just for you, fitted for you, golden clubs. So, the man teed off splitting the fairway straight and long. The lady walked up to the lady, lady's tee and teed off again straight. Then they were walking towards the ball for the second shot. Suddenly the husband became depressed, as it usually many times happens to the husbands <laughs> She looked at him and said, John, what's the problem? We're in heaven, we're on the best golf course, you had a great shot, I had a great shot, why are you so depressed? He said, if it was not for your stupid health food, we could have come here long time ago <laughs> So, this is the nature of human intellect because it gets only one face of everything. It is always thinking some… everything is a problem. When you don't have a problem, you're dissolved. Please see this, because you are not a problem, you are a possibility. When people, most people, most people when they utter the word human, they say, oh, I am only a human. They are always referring to the word human as a limitation, as a problem. Very few people are saying, I am human, referring to the immensity of being human because most people have not explored the immensity of what it means to be human. This is why there is so much talk about heaven and God and so many things, because people have failed to explore the immensity of what it means to be human. If you explore the full depth and dimension of what it means to be human, then you don't worry about dissolution because is it true, is it true that you are not born this way, of this size as you are today? Hello? 
slowly you accumulate it. How? Just the food that you've eaten, isn't it? What you accumulate can be yours. You cannot say it's me, isn't it? Hello? As I'm speaking, I pick up this vessel and say, this is my vessel. Then you will think, oh, Sadhguru has some problem. But everybody says he is wise, let us listen some more. After some time I say, this is me. Then you will say, let's go. Because now it's dangerous, isn't it? But this you are doing every day. Food appears on your plate, you say, this is my food. You eat it and then you say, this is me. You… if you get this point today, that the body that you carry is just a piece of the planet, today if you get it experientially, your life will change today. Otherwise, one day you will anyway get it from the maggots, but it will be a bit late. So dissolution does not mean destruction. Dissolution means you broke the boundaries of your individuality because your individual existence is a myth that you have created. You are very much individual, you don't like the person who's sitting next to you right now. So don't breathe the air that they are breathing, do one thing, just close your nose like this, hold it like this for two minutes. You know that without communication you won't last for a moment. This is not just with respiration, this is with every particle in this body. Without being in communication with the ex entire existence, this cannot exist for a moment. So dissolution is not something that you have to do. If you drop the conclusions that you have made about yourself, this is already dissolved. Modern physics is telling you this, isn't it? You already dissolved, you don't have to dissolve. It is just that you have a fancy idea in your head. To get that idea out is the spiritual process. Spiritual process is not a real process. Spiritual process is just helping you to distance yourself from your physiological and psychological process so that you see life just the way it is. Sadhguru. Where are you? Okay. Yeah. So I completely resonate with the idea of yours which you have in education. And having graduated from this place, and I don't know why I did engineering, one year of preparation, four years of B.Tech, two years of M.Tech, out of that frustration of why I'm doing engineering, I wanted to work in the education sector, and currently I am working, I feel… I face many challenges. To bring about a change in the system of how things are working and how children are taught, it takes very… it, it is a very slow process of how things move and how much you try that, okay, there should be a holistic development and this and that. Things boil down to, okay, okay, so I want to ask you if you, if you can give some tips on how your, how you think of how education should be, can be actually scaled up. Because there are many models which are there in some parts of the country which believe in this. And I too feel that meditation can be introduced in the system of education. So what do you feel, ki how can we make this happen at a large level? <coughs> Please. See, we are always thinking of changing the system. I'm not saying it should not, it should. But within the existing systems, we can do many things. 
depending upon the individual teachers and individual educators, how they operate. Because when you try to change the system in your own time, when you want to change the system, you must understand any system. Even within the family, if you want to change the system, it will take many years. It's not going to change overnight. Sometimes a generation has to pass as for it to change. To walk into your house with your shoes on, one generation has to pass, isn't it? <laughs> so, instead of thinking how to change the system, yes, we must have the vision of changing the system, but within the system, how to do the maximum delivery is something that all of us should always look at. Otherwise, we are always talking about future generations without addressing the current generations. It'll never work that way. It'll only be a dream. We have to make the difference in the current generation. Only then if you take a small step now, the next generation will take a bigger step. But without taking this step, we are dreaming of a big step, it will not happen. It will be just an idea which will not work. So, as an educator, you mentioned the word meditation. We must understand this, what meditation means. The word meditation, the English word meditation doesn't mean anything. If somebody sits with their eyes closed, people think they're meditating, but you can sit with your eyes closed for many reasons. Unable to bear the world, you can close your eyes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you may be… in yoga there are many things, you may be doing japa, tapa, dharana, dhyana, samadhi, shunya, sam samyama, we don't know what you're doing. So there is… the word meditation is not specific, it is too general and it's not saying anything in particular. Let us say if we are thinking to align the word meditation with what we refer to as dhyan or dhyana or dhyanam as you go south. <laughs> uh, because Hindi speaking people you have a way of clipping away the words in the end. Hmm? We say Rama, you say Ram. We say dhyanam, you say dhyan. You're cutting off everything in the end, that's your option. But if you are thinking it is dhyana or dhyana or whatever, what this means is if you sit here, if you sit here, if you clear… if you have a distinct experience that your body is here, your mind is somewhere else, what is you is elsewhere. Or in other words, there is a little space between what is you and what is your body. What is you and what is the content of your mind. Suppose this little space was achieved within you right now, would all these young boys be complaining about stress? You must do one thing. If you are an aviator, you would know this. You're driving to the airport, traffic jam, traffic jam, traffic jam. Oh, you curse everybody and honk and do all this and get there. Then you fly. Then you're flying over the traffic jam, it all looks very nice, you know. <laughs> Simply because of the distance. <laughs> when you are in it, it was a terrible thing. Once you're flying above it, it looks quite nice actually, traffic jams. <laughs> Once there is a little distance, that's the end of suffering. So if they… if you create a little space between you and your body, between you and your mind, this is the end of suffering because there are only two kinds of sufferings in your life, 
physical suffering, mental suffering. Do you know any other kind of suffering? Hmm? Only two sufferings. If you distance yourself a little bit, that's all. Distancing is not by attitude. Anyway, these are accumulations. You gathered this body, you gathered this mind. If you keep what belongs to you one way and what is you in another way, it's taken care of. So we can teach you a simple method with which you can do this. Very, very simple process. Every human being is capable of this. Let's understand this. When it comes to external realities, all of us are differently capable. No two human beings are equally capable. When it comes to inner possibilities, all of us are equally capable. No human being has come better endowed than the other. It is just that most human beings never look in that direction. Namaste Sadhguru, May I'm here. My name is Kamal. I'm here with my wife, my mother and thank you so much for coming here. We have been uh, following your guidance for many years now and it inspired us to, you mentioned about IYC, it inspired us to create YIC or Young India Challenge where two days back we invited the youth of India from Erode, Bangalore, Assam to solve India's challenges. And uh, I would like to ask you that the way we are connecting this is that if people find their passion and do what they love, they should be able to positively contribute to the society and solve the biggest challenge. But we see, you know, that there are so many practical situations that young people face and today we are talking about youth and truth. How can we do this more and wake up more and more young people that not only do they follow their passion, but they must connect it to nation building and solving the biggest challenges of our time, especially the youth here, which is, as you said, privileged and has house, shelter, and the basics are covered, how can we make it more experiential, that it becomes a movement that young people not only do what they love, but also make a positive impact? How can we do this more and get a large number of young people to get into this conversation? You are the young man. I'm willing to speak to any young people or old people. I… I don't see youth as a numerical entity. I think a lot of young people are pretty old, complaining about stress <laughs> Being young or old is not just of age, not the question of your birthday, when you were born. Have you… are you an exuberant life or have you become Youth means life in the making. All possibilities wide open, that's what youth means. You not become conceited yet. You should not be, I'm saying. <laughs> you have not made your conclusions about life, you're still willing to look at everything fresh. That's what youth means. I think it's the business of every human being to stay that way all their life, that you never make your conclusions, you become a constant exploration and a seeking in life. That you not become a conclusion, conclusion should happen with death. Before that if you conclude, then we will have to endure dead people walking around in the society who have no zest for anything but we have to bear with them. That should not happen to you or to anybody, isn't it? 
So, you said many things in one question about nation building, about many things, yes. In seventy years we should have built the nation, but we have made some grave mistakes for which we are paying the price, but there's no point doing post-mortem and going on thinking what we could have done right at that time, we should do the right things now. And as a… as a nation, as a culture, I must tell you this, I speak to a variety of people, to the highest level of academics, scientists, in various parts of the world, but I still find if you take a bunch of people, just like that, if you catch them, one hundred people on the street in Mumbai or Bangalore or Chennai, they're much smarter than anybody you can find anywhere, really. No, I, I didn't mean to leave out Delhi <laughs> I'm saying, average intelligence in this country, average intellect in this country is naturally high because of a certain cultural ethos that we have had for a long time. But our problem is their human intelligence is organized to produce something. Here human intelligence is disorganized. Everybody is a genius but nothing happens. You go and sit in a tea shop, he will be telling you how Virat Kohli, you know, his bat is… he's not holding it right. What he should do? The tea shop owner, he will also say how Narendra Modi does not know this, 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 how he should have done this, how he should have done that. Only problem is he does not know how to make good tea. We must transit from this. We must be a conscious application of genius, not a wild application of genius. It will not produce any results, it will only create problems. It's very important that we organize India to a productive future. Otherwise, we'll work against each other constantly. See, we are driving against each other. All of us could easily drive with the roads that we have. For the traffic that we have, we could easily drive. Well, we could easily come… come up with something, okay, everybody must drive minimum sixty kilometers per hour because there are some very fast drivers, some slow drivers, some who don't know what is driving, some who thinks they are Formula One racers, all kinds of people are there on the same street. You know this I realized about twenty years ago or more, yeah. About twenty years ago when I first went to the United States, I'm always used to putting my right foot down, full on. So I'm hitting like hundred-and-fifty miles per hour. People say, Sadhguru, don't do this, they will handcuff you. I said, why? The road is wide open, the engine is good. What's my problem? And I'm okay. So, no Sadhguru, that's not the thing. See, here they put seventy. You have to go seventy only. It took me some time to understand. Then I looked around, then I see a eighty-two-year-old woman is driving a school bus. Then I saw, okay. I can drive at any speed and keep the car on the road. But now this lady who's eighty-two is driving a school bus. Maybe if I go boom like this next to her, we don't know what happens to her. Then it took me a year to take this passion of putting my right foot down. Now I'm a little controlled and just above the speed limit I am. <laughs> because I started appreciating the organization. It kind of 
for an Indian mind, it's a little difficult because what I can do, I can do. But what about the rest of the organization? The organization has been done so that everybody can participate in it. I may be good at something, so I will do it in a certain way. If I want to do that, I must go on a racetrack, you know? I really want to hit two hundred miles per hour, I must go on a racetrack, not on the road, because the road is made for everybody. All kinds of people are driving and most people don't have help even though they're eighty-five, ninety, there are ninety-year-olds driving. You can't drive at hundred miles per hour next to him. But we can easily set this up. I'm just taking road as an example with every aspect of our life. I think India, what it lacks is too much genius and not enough organization. You young people must bring that organization into this country so that this intellectual investment or intellectual, uh, you know, the bank that we have, the human resource that we have can become a great potential, not a huge problem. It can become a big problem if it is not organized. Uh, so, we're running a little short of time. It's going to be the last question we'll be taking. Please, sir, microphone, take the microphone. You must use the microphone. Microphone. <laughs> Microphone is not your requirement, it's my requirement. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, madam. I said there is so much effort and struggle to design and shape a human mind when we are out of womb. Is there any way you know, sir, to design human mind when we are inside womb? That's my question. In, at home? Is that what you asked? Inside womb. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who is pregnant? <laughs> now, uh, if you do not know this, maybe in northern part of the country it's largely almost gone totally. In south it's still little alive in the villages but there also it's wiped out quite a bit. If you do not know this, from preconception, to conception, to various stages of pregnancy and delivery and as long as the mother is feeding the child, there's an entire established process in this country as to how a woman should eat, what she should do, whose kind… what kind of people she should interact with, what kind of form she should look at, what kind of form she should not look at, what kind of sound she should hear, what kind of sound she should not hear. All this was very much there. But we must also understand life has changed. Today women are going to work, they have to get into that horrible bus where they're pushed around, it doesn't matter she's pregnant and all kinds of things, all kinds of fumes, all kinds of sounds, all kinds of noises, all kinds of abuse, every kind of thing happening to her. In some way, we're doing that to the child also. There is no job 
in the country or in the world where you can take off for one and a half years and get back to the job to fulfill this. In one way, because of various things, this is… I'm not passing in a judgment on this, but for various reasons we are not taking the business of manufacturing the next generation of people with sufficient care. We are not paying enough attention to it, for which we will pay a price. Over a period of time, we will pay an immense price for that. But we are definitely not taking enough care about it in the entire world, not just in this country. Because we've got all kinds of social situations which does not allow that space for a woman to dedicate that kind of time and attention. See, being pregnant is not just about reproduction. We're literally manufacturing the next generation of people, isn't it? Is it not important of all the products that you produce on this planet, is it not most important that we produce wonderful human beings for the future generation? Is it not the most important thing? But we have created a social situation and an economic situation where there is no such possibility to take care of these things. To whatever extent individual women or individual families can take care of it, they can take care of it. But for the larger society it's out of question because things have changed, you can't turn it back just like that. Still the child is not born yet <laughs> no. Thank <you>. the, <laughs> the intelligence of the body is such, if you already do not know this, if a woman delivers a male child, the quality of the milk that she produces is in a certain way. If she delivers a female child, the quality of the milk is totally different. If she delivers a twin… if she delivers twins, one male and one female, one breast will ooze certain type of milk, another breast will ooze another kind of milk. This is the level of intelligence invested in this body. We have to treat it with that much care. This is not some crude machinery. This is the finest piece of technology on the planet, isn't it? Yes or no? This is the finest thing. In the ev entire evolutionary scale, these millions of years of work that nature did to produce this, but in our desperation for economic well-being, I think we are not paying the kind of attention that this needs, the kind of care that this needs so that this can function at the highest level and can also produce human beings for the future who are of a certain kind. So how to develop the brain when they're in the womb? It's very important that the atmosphere in which the child is growing up is kept in a certain way, at least amount of disturbance with right kind of reverberations, right kind of sounds, right kind of food, everything. Today they're barely nourished, the pregnant woman in most part of the country, they're barely nourished. Where is the question of right kind of vibrations, right kind of atmospheres? One thing we can do for this is, every home, if possible every working place, we can have a consecrated space. Today slowly they're coming up with instruments which can measure the reverberations of certain objects. We can create conse consecrated spaces or we can create consecrated objects, which at least at that time she can carry upon her body so that 
kind of to some extent, it's not the best solution, to some extent it neutralizes the outside impact to whatever extent possible. Or if she lives in a home, the place where she sleeps and other things are taken care of, some amount of respite can be there for that new life which is blossoming within the womb. Please, sir. By reading ancient scriptures like Bhagavad Gita or Guru Granth Sahib, we become, we tend to become very much pure. Uh, we look the world uh, from what? a different perspective. What is that? You become pure. A person becomes pure. But why were they impure? <laughs> no, why were they impure? Uh, because sometimes people are very much unkind. Un? Unkind. Unkind. Oh. Yeah. So uh, we look the we look at the world in in a different way. We become very much kind, and uh, we uh, develop the tendency of uh, uh, forgiving people. But uh, what happens when we uh, go to the workplace? We realize that because of your this uh, attitude, because you become very much kind, and you have the tendency to forgive people, uh, the other people they start using you. So, uh, what should we uh, do, what a person should do in, in such cases? Should a person stop reading such uh, ancient scriptures like Bhagavad Gita, Guru Granth Sahib? Or what is the right age to read uh, such books? <laughs> now, uh, one thing, the last part of the question that you said, other people will start using you. That means you're not using yourself well that there is space and time that others can use you. If you are using yourself to the fullest extent, nobody will have an opportunity to use you. See, if you are, let us say, you are using something, twenty-four hours of the day, where will I get time to use the same thing? So twenty-four hours of the day, every moment of your life, if you are using this to the fullest extent to do whatever you want to do, where is the chance for somebody to use this? If you are not using it, it's good, at least somebody else is using it <laughs> Now, uh, anyway, Bhagavad Gita is not about kindness, Krishna is talking about war. <laughs> he's a very practical person, when there is war needed, he's trying to instigate war. He sees there is no other solution, so he's saying, let's go to war. Somebody else is hesitating. He's saying, this is it, this is the time to fight, this is not the time to hesitate. Where is kindness in this? There is simple political sense. What needs to be done is being done. He's only saying, don't get caught up in this activity, you need to do it, just do it. Don't make too much fuss about it. Kindness, see, kindness means… Uh, kindness is useful only for the fallen, isn't it? When you're standing on your feet, do you want somebody to be kind to you? Hello? Let us say you were going to your friend's house every day. They welcomed you and everything, they fed you, they took care of you. But one day you realized 
they were doing it simply because they were kind to you. Will you feel insulted or no? Yes or no? Yes or no? Only when you have fallen, kindness matters. When you stand on your feet, you don't want kindness, you want acceptance, you want respect, you want… Yes or no? So kindness is only for the sick and the dying, not for young. You should not ask for kindness ever. Do you want to pass because your professor is kind to you? <laughs> Do you… Do you want to get a job because somebody is kind to you or because out of your competence you want to get the job? Which way is it? Do not seek anything in this life out of kindness. That will happen when you're in your deathbed, when you can't do anything for yourself, then you expect some kindness. That also, if you're very capable, you can handle that also, you can walk to your own grave and die. I can teach you that technology also, <laughs> yes? that as you live consciously, you can also die consciously. It is possible for a human being to do this. A whole lot of creatures do this, do you know? Do you know when a cobra wants to die, it… it finds a place somewhere, usually on top of a tree, one branch where nobody can reach and just sits there for over twelve to fifteen days without eating and it'll die there. When I first noticed this, I didn't figure this, I thought, why has this cobra become so skinny? I brought it home and I pour milk, milk into his mouth, I try to make him eat and then I leave him. He again goes up the tree and sits there. Three, four times I bring him down, again he goes up and sits there and after five days he's dead. So when a crawly creature like a snake has this much awareness that life is coming to an end and he wants to die in a certain way, Human beings must have this, isn't it? In this culture, we develop this, when a human being knows his life is ebbing, he withdraws. He sits by himself, it's called vanaprastha. He goes into the jungle, sits by himself, slowly leaves his life, this body. This is a wonderful way of conducting life. Now till the last moment somebody is pumping it because it's an industry. It doesn't matter, they want to stretch you for another few hours because few hours will cost a few thousand rupees and whatever else, that's different. So don't… as a young person, don't ever look for kindness. Let your competence open the doors, not somebody's kindness, isn't it? Anybody? Please, take the microphone, take the microphone. Where are you, please? I know, you don't have the microphone.
staff who helped us in organizing this event. And of course, any event of this kind is not possible without the help of student volunteers. So I would like to request all the AINA volunteers to come on stage so that they can just, uh, you know, have, uh, we can give them a big round of applause. All AINA volunteers, please come on stage. Alayala, 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 Alayala,
உயிரின் உறவு உணர்ந்திடாமலே 